0: We're reading here in uh, Genesis chapter 5 and beginning at verse 28 and reading from there into the following chapter. We're reading about a man called Lamech. And Lamech lived an hundred and eighty and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived, after he begat Noah, five hundred ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech, were seven hundred seventy and seven years and he died and Noah was five hundred years old and Noah begat Shem Ham and Japheth chapter six and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing in the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me, and I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God and Noah begat three sons Shem, Ham and Japheth the earth also was corrupt before God the earth was filled with violence and God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. What a solemn word we have been reading here from Genesis chapter 6. May the Lord continue to speak to your hearts and bless the preaching of his name this day for his name's sake.
1: Let's turn in our Bibles, please, again to the book of Genesis. It's chapter 6, and over the last number of weeks, we've been thinking about facing our giants, and looking at some of the texts and portions in the Word of God that deal with that subject, and coming up to the Christmas season over the next few Lord's Days, next Lord's Day, and the two following, we're going to consider the great giant of fear. There are many fear knots in Scripture, and we're going to consider three of them in connection with the coming of Christ into the world. But here we have another text about giants in Genesis 6, and verse number four, there were giants in the earth in those days. There were giants in the earth in those days. Let's pray together and let's seek the Lord. And can we re-echo Eric's words of welcome to some that are back with us today after a little absence. It's really good to have you with us. All that Eric's mentioned already and we trust that God will bless you uh, here this morning. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord. Loving God and everlasting Father, what a blessing it is to open the precious Word of God. This divinely inspired book, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. We thank Thee for the Spirit of God, the author of this book. We thank Thee, our Father, that we can pray and ask that Thou wilt send Thy Spirit to open our hearts. And O God, we pray that You will raise up Great men and women of God to stand in this day for Jesus Christ. So, Father, hear and answer prayer. <clears throat> grant, O God, the infilling and the anointing of the Spirit of God upon the preaching and upon the hearing of Thy Word. Fill me, Lord, I pray with Thy Spirit. Hide me behind the cross. Glorify our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And grant, O God, that a work will be done in our hearts that will impact the world around us. So, Father, hear and answer prayer. We ask it with thanksgiving in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. I want to look at an unusual text this morning and preach perhaps an unusual message from that text. It's Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 4. There were giants in the earth In those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. There were giants in the earth in those days. And our subject for this morning is simply this Where have all the giants gone? Where have all the giants gone? Or whatever happened. The giants. Genesis 6 4 is perhaps a difficult verse of scripture for us to grapple with in this day and generation. And various explanations have been given as to who the giants were and as to where they came from. There were giants in the earth in those days. One popular school of thought is that before the flood, there was a vapor canopy all around the earth, and it worked in many respects like a greenhouse. And some believe that men and animals and plants and trees all grew a lot larger to greater stature before the flood. And you read about that vapor canopy in Genesis 1, verses 6 through to eight. And there are some that say that the giants that are spoken of there in Genesis 6 and verse 4 were the giants before the flood, simply as a result of greater oxygen and different things like that upon the earth. And then there are others who believe that they, the giants were born to fallen angels entering into relationships with the woman in the world at that particular time. They take the little phrase in verse 4 about the sons of God being a reference to fallen angels cohabiting with women on the earth and the results where the giants were born to them. But it looks like that is perhaps not the way we should look at this text. It says there were giants in the earth in those days and then after that the sons of men or God came in unto the daughters of men. But yet the reality is, in Matthew chapter 22, the Savior said that angels marry not, nor are given in marriage. So I'm persuaded that angels are spiritual beings and they do not reproduce. Still others say that the sons of God represent believers, the line of Seth, Seth's offspring who were brought up In the truth of the Word of God and came to believe and trust in the Lord. And therefore, like believers today, are referred to as the sons of God. And then the daughters of men refer to Cain's line. Unbelievers and the Word of God here is warning us of the danger of the unequal yoke. That believers are not to be united together with unbelievers as far as the marriage, bond, and relationship is concerned. And then there are others who take the word giants to be giants in name only. Giants, perhaps, of intellect. Giants of industry. Giants as well of sin and iniquity. Because it speaks there at the end of the text, men of renown. Men that were known. Men that were giants socially. Men that stood up with great stature in the world stage and were looked at and adored and worshipped even by others. Nimrod was such a man. The Bible says in Genesis 10 and verse number 8 concerning Nimrod that he began to be a mighty one in the earth. And so as far as the world was concerned, Nimrod was a giant. He was a mighty one. It's not speaking perhaps about his physical frame But rather, his character, his attainments. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and Nimrod was mighty in the eyes of men. The word giants here in Genesis 6 and verse number 4 really means fallen ones. These men were fallen in the eyes of God, but mighty in the eyes of men. But look at our text there were giants. In the earth in those days. And I want to look at this text just on its own, not really considering much about what comes before or after, and maybe look at it from a different perspective in a spiritual context, and think today about the spiritual giants that used to be in the world, and ask ourselves the question this morning where have the spiritual giants gone? Where have the men and women of great spiritual standing and great spiritual stature gone? In the spiritual landscape, there used to be giants on the earth. Men and women who really knew how to lay hold upon God in prayer. Men and women who were known in their towns and cities and nations as being men and women of great spiritual standing and great spiritual stature. People like Jacob who had power with God and power with men. And in a spiritual sense, they could be described as being giants. Noah was such a man. He was a spiritual giant amongst all of these earthly giants. Noah, verse 32 of the previous chapter, was 500 years old. And Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The Bible says in chapter 6 and verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And in, in in an individual level, people could have looked at Noah and said, that man is a spiritual giant. And the question that I want to ask this morning is very simply, whatever happened to the giants Where have the giants gone? Beloved, this morning I have no real outline as such today. Just a burden that I want to communicate to you. Sometimes in church people take notes and that's a good thing. Billy Hugh Baxter that many of you knew years ago encouraged me as a young Christian. He said, take notes. He says, you cannot fall asleep in church if you're taking notes. And if that's the only reason you're taking notes this morning... Well, be it. Sometimes our children take notes, and before church, they say, Daddy, have you got any points this morning? How many points are you going to have? And this morning, I have to say, I've got no points at all, really. And it's a pointless sermon, but I trust that the Lord will bless it to your heart nonetheless. As we think about these giants, we have to remind ourselves that, in a, in a spiritual sense, in our land and nation, in this world of ours, we are standing upon the shoulders of giants. In 2007, a new two-pound coin was minted, and around the edge of that coin, the words, standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm not sure what giants, that little phrase on the two-pound coin was referring to, but we can say in this land of ours, in this world of ours, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are standing upon the shoulders of giants. We're standing upon the shoulders of the giants of Scripture. We think about the patriarchs, men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, men who stood alone for God and perhaps plowed a very lonely furrow. And yet, the God of Abraham is our God this morning. And the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob is our God this morning. And we're standing upon the shoulders of such spiritual giants. Also standing upon the shoulders of the apostles. John MacArthur wrote a tremendous book a number of years ago about the twelve disciples. The title of the book telling in itself Twelve Ordinary Men. Twelve Ordinary Men. And yet under God they became mighty. And in their day and generation, especially after they were filled with the Spirit of God, on the day of Pentecost, they became spiritual giants. And in our Christian faith today, we're standing upon the shoulders of such giants. And then whenever we consider the history of the New Testament church and the history of Christianity in this world of ours, there are many spiritual giants right throughout the history of the Christian church. I don't know if you ever read church history. I never had much interest in history at school. But the history of the Christian church is the most remarkable story outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. You read the history of the first three centuries since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it makes for thrilling reading. Men and women and young people taking up the torch of the gospel, telling others about the Savior during the time of the Roman Empire and living short lives that told for Jesus Christ. Some were thrown to the lions, some were sewn inside animal skins and thrown to the beasts, others were burned alive, others were tortured. And yet at that time, the church of Jesus Christ flourished. And then if you think as well about the Reformers, men like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, John Huss, who spent their lives promoting the truths of the gospel, salvation through Christ alone, salvation by faith alone, salvation by grace alone, The scriptures alone, the glory of God alone, ordinary men born again of the Spirit of God with a vision for Jesus Christ who dared to stand up against the tyranny of false religion and false uh, teaching and philosophy and false doctrine and stood up and put their lives in the line. And here we are today as believers holding dear the truths of the Reformation And we're standing upon the shoulders of giants. And then whenever you think about Presbyterianism as a form of church government, that dared to stand up against Romanism and Episcopalianism and the tyranny that comes with dictators in the church, the Presbyterians especially in Scotland experienced intense persecution. And because they wanted to come outside of the established church and worship their God according to the, the, the Word of God and according to the convictions that they held dear, many of those Scottish reformers and those Scottish covenanters and the people that came after them, young people as well, in their teens were happy to stand in the, in the Scottish heather in the highlands. And the heather stained with blood just to break bread. And to remember the Lord's death under the threat of martyrdom, should they be found. And here we are in 2022. And many professing Christians struggle to break bread for an hour, once a quarter, or once a month in a warm church. And yet the old covenanters were willing to lay down their lives so that they could break bread and remember the Lord's death. Did you ever read anything of the history of the early Methodists? Men like George Whitfield and John Wesley and Charles Wesley and William Bramwell and the men that followed. And how they set England and Ireland and parts of America on fire with the gospel. And they saw thousands converted. Think about the, the great missionaries, men like Hudson Taylor and David Livingstone and Robert Moffat and William Carey and David Brainerd, even in our own province as well. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. Men like Henry Cook that ushered in the great 1859 revival. Men like W.P. Nicholson, who 100 years ago exactly was conducting missions across this province, and thousands were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then we think of the hundreds and hundreds of missionaries that have been sent out from this little province to the four corners of the earth. We think as well about our own, our own denomination. Men like Dr. Paisley, men like Alan Kearns, men like Reverend James Beggs, S.B. Cook, our own senior minister, Dr. Douglas. Men of spiritual stature, men of spiritual standing. And yet the reality is that we don't see giants like this in our day and generation the way we once did. We think of our own fellowship as well. I can remember way back there in 1999, going to the old hut, the prayer meetings there, and sitting and listening to older saints pray. And many of them have gone to be with the Lord. And you know who they were. Men of stature, women of renown, who knew how to touch heaven and they were begging on their knees before God. There were giants in the earth in those days. The challenge to our hearts this morning is, where have the giants gone? Whenever Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire by a whirlwind, the question was immediately asked, where is the God of Elijah? Leonard Ravenhill answered that question by saying, the God of Elijah is where he has always been. He's still on the throne. The question that we need to ask is, where are the Elijahs of God? Dear friends, this morning, where are the spiritual giants? We're standing in the shoulders of giants. But generally, the giants seem to have gone. This is the thrust of our text. There were giants on the earth in those days. And the author of the book of Genesis is indicating that the giants are no longer as prevalent as they once were. And it seems that in the Western world, in the Western church, the giants seem to have gone. Think about the United States of America. You go back about a hundred years or more, and there were giants stalking the land for Christ. We think of men like Jonathan Edwards of New England, a giant of theology, a giant of prayer, a giant of preaching. Do you ever read about the accounts of men like D.L. Nude and the thousands and thousands that came to listen to him week after week in his campaigns and the thousands that were converted under Christ, under his ministry? Did you ever read about the life of men like R.A. Torrey or Billy Sunday or Wilbur Chapman, these great evangelists? And then you look at America today. Can you think of any giants? Think about England just across, across the channel, across the water. The land of Cranmer and Tyndale and Whitcliffe and Whitfield and the Wesleys and men like J.C. Ryle. The lights have all gone out. Can you think of one spiritual giant in England? What about Scotland, the land of the Covenanters, the land of John Knox? who single-handedly prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or else I die. And under God saw a nation turned around from Catholicism and brought into the Reformed faith, the land of Andrew Bonner, Horatius Bonner, Robert Murray McShee and the Covenanters. Can you think of one spiritual giant in Scotland today? What about the land of wheels, the land of hills and valleys, a land of great revival? They called it the land of revival. Men like Daniel Rowland and Howell Harris and Christmas Evans and Evan Roberts and Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, men of stature, men of renown. Can you think of one spiritual giant in wheels today? What about our own province? This land that's been so blessed under God. It used to be called the land of saints and scholars. And yet there were very few giants. It used to be you could go to the city of Belfast and there were spiritual giants. Men that were blazing a trail for God. Seeing people converted and churches built up and preaching the old time gospel. Can you think of one spiritual giant that's seeing a mighty work done in our province today? Dear friend, where have all the giants gone? Why have the giants gone? Is it the judgment of God upon these islands? The Bible speaks in Revelation chapter 2 to one of those churches. And the Lord called them to repent. And he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to take away the candlestick. Now what is a candlestick? It's an instrument that is used to spread forth light. God doesn't say, I'm going to remove the light. He says, I'm going to remove the instrument that bears the light. And he threatened that church with closure. Maybe God is judging our nation today because of our prayerlessness and perhaps as well because of our carelessness. I'm sure some of you have never heard of the name of Samuel Chadwick. He was one of the last great Methodists And I read a number of years ago the biography of this man, Samuel Chadwick. And he was converted young in life, and he was an old-fashioned holiness preacher. He loved God and had a burden for the lost and a burden to spread the gospel. And throughout that man's life, it made mention in that biography of some of his contemporaries and men that he enjoyed fellowship with in his lifetime. D.L. Moody was mentioned. R.A. Torrey was mentioned. Campbell Morgan was mentioned. Billy Sunday was mentioned. A.T. Pearson was mentioned. Giants of the faith. And it just seems that across the world and across the evangelical church, every nation had its giants. And yet we find it so difficult today to think of spiritual giants. Even the memory of the giants of God. I'm sure a lot of the younger people in their service this morning... You're maybe not familiar with any of these names that have been mentioned. I've often mentioned the ministry of the Reverend Duncan Campbell. Influenced me so much as a young Christian, reading his books and listening to his tapes. And a number of years ago, we went on a a holiday to Scotland, to the, the little town of Oban. It's a beautiful situation, a beautiful setting. And yet on the Lord's Day, it was very difficult to find a church that was opened. Last, we found a free church of Scotland, and there must have been about 10 or 15 people in the service, most of whom were holiday makers like ourselves. I took Duncan Campbell's biography with me because I knew he lived somewhere outside of Oban in a little parish called Benderloch. I found out where he was buried, and we went to a church called Ard Chatham Priory, a really old church of Scotland. It's a historic building. And yet his grave was so humble and wasn't even marked. And I just wondered, how many people that attend this church or live in this parish or live in this town are aware that there's a spiritual giant who saw revival buried in the church grounds? No mention of his great ministry under God. Where and why have all the giants gone? In the press in the last week, A lot of hullabaloo was made about census figures in the mainland. We have noticed the census figures in our own province. As far as Christianity is concerned, as far as uh, the taking of censuses are, Christianity is at an all-time low. All of the denominations are losing hundreds of people every ten years. And they say now in England that less than 50% even claim to be Christian nominally. Nominal Christianity is in the minority. And we're not even speaking about evangelicals, born-again believers who are committed to Christ. It's a tragedy, friends, it seems, that all the giants have gone. I read in an evangelical periodical a number of years ago that on average in England and Britain and in America, 70% of young people that are brought up in churches will leave the churches before they come out of their teens and live secular lives. The idea of giants and men of renown in our then generation almost seems like a pipe dream. And yet, friends, more than ever, we need spiritual giants. What makes a spiritual giant? Maybe you're a young Christian or you're like myself and you wonder, Lord, how can I grow in grace? How can I become a man or a woman of renown? How can I be a man of stature, someone that will touch heaven on this earth and touch a generation and see God move? Noah was a spiritual giant in his day and generation. Why? Because verse number 8 says he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It says in verse number 9, Noah walked with God. It says Noah was a just man. He was justified by the grace of God. And he was perfect in his generations. Here's a man that's really walking with God, who knows the grace of God in his life. His sins are forgiven. And here's a man that's willing to stand up for Christ. And stand out for the crowd and look like a fool if that's what God calls them to do. Some of the men we have mentioned, and men like Noah and last week Caleb and Joshua, who the Bible says were men of a different spirit. Something different about them. Willing to go through with God. Willing to obey God regardless of what it cost them to their reputation. Can you imagine anything more ridiculous than God saying to Noah living far from the sea, far from lakes and rivers, I want you to build an enormous ark, an enormous boat. And he begins to build, and people think he's absolutely crazy. Or Caleb and Joshua saying, we can go in and possess the land and face the giants and be victorious. Or a young stripling like David saying, I'll go out and fight Goliath, and I will face the giant. You see, Noah and Joshua and Caleb, and David. It wasn't just that they were facing giants. They were giants, spiritually speaking. And yet they were ordinary people just like you and me. The Bible says that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And yet he prayed earnestly that he might not reign, that it might not rain. Get to know God. Get to know the Word of God. But more than that, get to know the God of the Word. Talk to the Lord and get to know Him. You know, there's so much going on in our and generation. So much rubbish in our churches. Here, friends, I have no problem with somebody getting involved in sport or watching sport. But whenever churches cancel their services so people can watch football, or instead of preaching the gospel, they bring in a big screen so people can watch the, the big game, Friends, something is radically wrong. The church has got one commission and that's to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And yet so many of us in evangelical circles, we've lost the vision. A giant does not need to feel the need to promote himself. Men like Noah didn't need to stand up and say, everybody look at me. Did you ever notice that big, big dogs don't usually bark all that much? I had a friend, he was a pastor up there in the north coast, and he wasn't all that tall, but he had these three huge dogs. He had an Irish wolfhound, and two dogs, Leon Burgers, they're about the size of a St. Bernard. He had two of those, and an Irish wolfhound. And he used to walk all three dogs together, and you could just see his little head in the middle of these three big dogs walking down Port Stewart Prom. Really lovely man, and he could never get too far, but people were asking him questions about those dogs. And those dogs were so quiet... And so placid because they didn't feel the need to prove themselves. You know some of these little handbag dogs you get and you go near them and they tear the arm off you. And they're vicious and they snarl and snap and spit at you. And their eyes glow red and there's flames coming out of their ears. And they're just a wee tiny thing. Well a spiritual giant does not need to shout and roar and draw attention to himself. People can see them for what they really are. John the Baptist Was a spiritual giant coming out of 400 silent years, the last we could say of the old economy profits. And yet, what was his cry? He must increase, but I must decrease. And the smaller John the Baptist was in his own sight, the greater he was in the sight of God. And Jesus Christ our Lord said, Among them that are born of woman, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Hudson Taylor at the end of his life was asked, why did God use you? You know what he said? He says, I believe that God looked on and he was looking for the weakest instrument that he could find. And at last he found Hudson Taylor. The weakest instrument that he could find. And at last he found Hudson Taylor. I think it was Gladys Aylward who said at the end of her life, being interviewed on British television, I wasn't God's first choice. God had somebody else. I don't know how theologically sound that is. And she says, whether they fell into sin or whether they weren't willing to go or whether the, something happened, but at last he found Gladys Eelworth, where a little parlor made in the east end of London. And God got her to China. And God did a great work through her. I wonder today, are we too big for God to use? God chooses the foolish things and the weak things. Let me think about something else. I wonder, are we really ready for such giants. You know, people are often eulogized after they die, but hounded whenever they're alive. I wonder sometimes if W.P. Nicholson was alive today, would we have him in our churches? Would he be too rough and too crude and too offensive? A number of years ago, I remember doing outreach in Scotland and going to the home of this man, and he, had a, he had an enormous library of books. And I'd been speaking at a, at a meeting the, the night before, and as I often have done, and you know this, mentioned the Reverend Duncan Campbell, and the next day he just threw it into the conversation. Oh, I heard Duncan Campbell preach once. And my ears pricked up, and I said to him, boy, I, that must have been a real blessing. And he just says, not at all. He was just an old Arminian. If you don't know what an Arminian is, don't worry about it. But that's, he says, he was just an old Arminian and so I didn't pick up on that and they just let him spout on. Then he began to look through his library of great books and he had a huge section of Martin Lloyd-Jones. They remember putting down one of the volumes in the book of Romans and says, Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my favorite authors. I love to read him. And then he says, I used to live in London and I knew where he was going. He says, I attended Westminster Chapel and I said to him again, well, I'm sure that was a blessing. He was a great preacher. Not at all far, far too long winded. And I rolled my eyes and lifted down another little book. This time it was by Oswald J. Smith of the People's Church in Toronto, Canada. This little book, the man God uses is Oswald J. Smith. He was greatly used of God. You don't believe what happened next. He says, I happened to live in Canada for a year. And I attended his church in Toronto. And I said to him, I'm sure that was a blessing. Not at all, he says, he was just an entertainer. And I remember thinking, I wonder what you have ever done for God. One was too Arminian, one was too long-winded, one was nothing but an entertainer. You know, friends, it's so easy, isn't it, to become critical? And look for people's faults and strain it in that and swallow a camel. Do you think if the Apostle Paul himself visited Northern Ireland, we would have him in our churches. Many would say, you know, he's too theological, he's too offensive. Did you ever read his letter to the church at Galatia? He called the church there a bunch of fools. He talked about the offense of the cross. Sure, it speaks in Acts chapter 20 about how long he preached. It says he was long in preaching and continued his speech until midnight. If he comes to our church, he might preach all night. We have to get home. We've got supper waiting. He's not a party man either. He's not really denominationally minded because he rebuked the church at Corinth. Some says we're of Paul. Others says we're of Apollos. Paul says you're a carnal, that's what the problem is. You're following all of these men and not the Lord. And then the Word of God says that his bodily presence was weak. He wasn't the most handsome preacher in the world. His body was weak. Some people believe that that thorn in the flesh was his eyesight. And with all of the stonings and beatings and whippings and shipwrecks and imprisonments that Paul had experienced, I'm sure he wasn't a pretty picture. And then he said his speech was contemptible. That's what his critics said. This man is not eloquent. His speech is contemptible. Now we don't know really what that actually means, a speech contemptible. Maybe he had no teeth in his head. Maybe he wasn't like a... A avalanche of burning words. Certainly wasn't an entertainer. He wasn't an ear tickler. He also had a criminal record. Would we have a man like that in our churches in 2022? And yet he was a spiritual giant. One last thought in closing. What about striving to become a giant yourself? What about striving in these days to become spiritual giants ourselves? Where have all the giants gone? Whatever happened to the giants? The Bible says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, my grandmother used to always say, and my grandparents as well, that this young generation, they seem to be so much bigger and taller than they were back in our day. Maybe that's because whenever you get old, you begin to shrink a little bit. and You look at how young people grow so quickly and They say maybe it's the food that they're eating, or maybe it's the the exercise they're doing, or maybe some other thing, but people seem to be growing. But what about spiritually? Are we growing in grace? Are we growing stronger and taller, or are we growing smaller? Maybe you're an older person today, and you think, well, I don't know how much time I have left. Sure, none of us do. But I'll tell you, Moses was given a rod at the age of 80. And called to go and bring the children of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. At 80 years of age, he was only starting. God is still a work for you to do. Maybe today you're a younger person and you've got a whole life ahead of you. I wonder today, will you make it your desire? I want to be something for God. I want to do something for God. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to know this book. I want to know how to pray. I want to know how to swim against the tide. I want to be able to witness to my friends and neighbors. And I want to be a spiritual giant in my day and inner generation. Read the Word of God. Just do bed and do whatever God tells you to do. Keep it simple. Talk to the Lord. Get to know Him in prayer. And pray that God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. Our town needs spiritual giants. Your workplace, your school, your university campus, your street needs spiritual giants. This denomination of ours, the evangelical church at large, this fellowship needs spiritual giants. Men of renown, men of reputation, women who love God and who stand out in their society. Will you be one of them? Whatever happened to the giants? You know, we can sit And curse the darkness in this day and generation. And that's the easiest thing in the world to do, to curse the darkness. Or else you can stand up and light a candle and shine a light in a world that's lost. May God help us today to be the very best that we can be. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your attention this morning. It's been so encouraging.